Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and each week we scour the internet looking for interesting books, and this week I'm happy to say that we have Donald Critchlow on the show, and we'll be talking about his book, When Hollywood Was Right, How Movie Stars, Studio Moguls, and Big Business Remade American Politics. It's a fascinating book. It shines light on something that I don't think most people know, except by dim association with Ronald Reagan, who they say was a a film star and later became, of course, Ronald Reagan, the great Republican god. But there's a whole story behind that. And Don does a really terrific job of telling it. And I'm really glad that he did, because as I say, I'm a big film buff and I study Hollywood a little bit, just amateurishly. And I, I really learned a lot from the book and I hope people go out and buy it. So first, let me say, Donald, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, I'm a, a long-practicing uh, historian. I teach uh, history at uh, Arizona State University. I've uh, uh, taught at other places, but now uh, Arizona is my home. Okay. Um, and we should say that you've written other books of great – I'll say it for you. You wrote a great book about Phyllis Schlafly. Can I just say that? that well, right? thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my earlier books. I really liked it. So I encourage people to go buy that one too. So could you tell us why you wrote When Hollywood Was Right? Well, uh, sure. I was uh, thinking about writing a, a biography of the relationship or a collected biography of the odd relationship uh, between Richard Nixon and uh, Ronald Reagan. And when I was looking at the uh, Richard Nixon papers, I suddenly saw all this correspondence from uh, – Hollywood uh, actors, and I thought, gee, I didn't realize uh, so many uh, actors were uh, Republicans. So the more I looked into it, uh, it was a it was a discovery, and I decided that uh, this was a book that uh, should be written. Most people, when I started, said it was going to be. Uh, when I told them I was writing about the Hollywood uh, ride. They said, well, that will be a short book. Uh, it turned out that there were. Uh, 
hundreds and hundreds of uh, Republicans as well as conservatives and all along in the 40s and 50s and up through the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think it is a historical corrective. As I said, I think most people, when they think about Hollywood, they think left. And actually, you begin the book that way with an interesting anecdote about Eli Kazan. And well, why don't you tell that little about what happened? In, is it 1999? Yes. Uh, Eli uh, Kazan, who had written uh, and directed on the waterfront was uh, going to going to be given a lifetime achievement award by the uh, Motion Picture Academy, uh, and there were uh, huge protests outside the award ceremony. And uh, when he uh, received the uh, award, uh, many of the actors, or a few of the actors uh, who were on the left, stood up and turned their uh, backs. And uh, they felt that he was uh, he had been uh, he had denounced communism, turned his back on the uh, on the party, and um, and he was a turncoat. So even though he had, uh, achieved much in film and on the waterfront, it still remains one of the great films of uh, of Hollywood. Uh, it was it was rather uh, um, you know uh, shocking, really that people were still going to hold against him of something that happened, uh, you know, 30 years uh, previously. Mm-hmm. And if, and if uh, one looks at the uh, Communist Party and its activities in Hollywood in, in this period, they're, uh, they're nothing to uh, really uh, carry a banner for, in my, mm-hmm. my view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting that it still touches a nerve today. I mean, I think part of the reason, and you can speak about this yourself, is that it's become a kind of cliche, and and it's and people yeah. have put on white hats and black hats, and so the black hats are the people who were anti-communist, and the white hats are people who were persecuted by the anti-communists. At least that's right. The- well, there've been there've been uh, dozens of films and uh, uh, novels and books written about the. Uh, you know the dark days of uh, Hollywood without uh, without much of an understanding, really, of what was going on at that time. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, yeah, no, I think that's right, and that's why it's a good historical corrective. So let's get right into the book. You begin it um, roughly in the um, in the Depression, and then that which follows, uh, which is the, um, the, the 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 Roosevelt's reforms, um, the New Deal, and and uh, a particular low point for the uh, Republican Party, particularly in California, which is where you focus your attention. Yes. Um, well, in the uh, 1920s and early 1930s, Hollywood wasn't very uh, political. It was always about uh, making uh, making money. But when uh, Upton uh, Sinclair won the uh, Democratic Party nomination, for governor in 1934, running on a socialist uh, ticket or program uh, in poverty in California, uh, and he talked about kind of taking over the Hollywood studios, the uh, business community with LA Times uh, owner uh, Chandler, and uh, as well as studio heads, Louis B. Meir and others, really mobilized a, a very extensive and expensive uh, campaign against uh, Sinclair. Uh, involved in this uh, campaign, by the way, this anti-Sinclair campaign was 
rural war and who later became longstanding governor of California and Supreme Court justice, uh, seeing as a liberal that he was really uh, kind of the figurehead on, uh, spearhead on the attack on uh, Sinclair. In the end, Sinclair uh, lost the uh, uh, nomination. In the, in the most extensive uh, gubernatorial uh, race at that, uh, at that uh, point, it really showed uh, negative uh, advertising and negative attacks and the use of uh, media uh, in, in, its, uh, in a full-blown way, and that was going to basically set the stage for uh, later uh, media use in uh, political campaigns. Mm-hmm. And at this time, the California Republican Party, I mean, obviously, they, they, they may have uh, defeated up in Sinclair, but they could not hold back the New Deal. Uh, so, uh, right. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the New Deal was uh, uh, very popular in California, as it was in the uh, rest of the uh, rest of the uh, country. And uh, Republic and California Republicans watched their state. Uh, becoming increasingly uh, democratic, especially in voter registration. So uh, uh, they were really uh, on the ropes. And it's at that point, really, in the kind of the 19, uh, late, late in the, in the Second World War and really after the war, that uh, a group uh, came together in Southern California, made up of uh, Hollywood uh, moguls, as well as uh, leading businessmen and uh, actors uh, coming together to really revive uh, the Republican uh, Party. And that was going to set the stage for their successes in the 1960s with the election of, uh, in 1964, of actor, dance man, George uh, uh, Murphy, and then later uh, in 66 with the election of... uh, Reagan as governor and later in 1980 mm-hmm. when, so, he won, when he won the presidency. So how does, so much of your book is about anti-communism as it, an ideological stance and also a kind of platform for mobilization. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this group of people and first of all, why they were anti-communist? And then second of all, it'll probably be a little bit down the road, h- how the issue came to be used as a kind of, um, political tool, if you don't object to that characterization. No, I think that's, uh, um, I think that's fair enough to call it a, a political tool. Well, the, uh, uh, the Communist Party in uh, Southern California and in Hollywood was never large, but uh, it gained uh, support of, uh, and membership from a number of uh, significant uh, people and particularly made inroads in uh, Hollywood film uh, industries, particularly the Screenwriters Guild. Uh, and so you see uh, uh, authors such and screenwriters such as Dalton Trumbo and Dorothy uh, Parker, uh, uh, Albert uh, Maltz and uh, Ring Lardner Jr. Uh, playing a significant role in the Screenwriters Guild. And uh, at the same time, uh, the communists also made uh, significant inroads in uh, the technical uh, unions in Hollywood, as well as the uh, uh, cartoonist unions. 
uh, cartoonist uh, union. And that began to turn the uh, studio uh, heads against him. Walt Disney, for example, after experiencing uh, 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 unionization of his studio, and what he thought was uh, uh, communist-led, he became a virulent uh, anti-communist. Um, and uh, and then uh, in 1945 and 1946, uh, there were uh, massive strikes in Hollywood that uh, shut down the studios, but it also led to uh, to violence. And at that point, uh, uh, this is at the just at the tail end of the war, and the year after, I think it really uh, spurred uh, anti-communist uh, activities in in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so, when was this first used as a um, as, as a campaign device? Well, uh, at first, uh, it wasn't uh, really. Uh, well, it was uh, it, the Republicans were going to seize on the anti-communist issue, but the first signs of uh, of kind of the backlash to communism to communist uh, party uh, involvement in Hollywood. Uh, came when a group of actors uh, and screenwriters came together uh, to form the Motion Picture Alliance uh, for American Ideals. Um, And this was, uh, they drew actors such as uh, Gary Cooper and Randolph Scott, uh, Spencer Tracy, uh, excuse me, Clark Gable, uh, Ginger Rogers, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, and Robert Taylor, and a whole group of uh, Ayn Rand came together uh, to uh, to confront the uh, communists. And the Motion Picture Alliance wrote to the House of Non-American Activities or to Congress and asked for an investigation of communist uh, involvement in the film industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yes, should I go on? Yeah, please go on. Yes, and I, I don't mean to uh, just speak without uh, giving anyone a break. But, no, go ahead. It's uh, interesting. <laughs> um, so they wrote uh, Congress, uh, and the head of uh, uh, of the House on American Activities uh, Committee called HUAC was headed by J. Purnell uh, Thomas a New Jersey uh, uh, congressman, and uh, a bit of a, uh, quite a grandstander, as many on UAC were, uh, and they saw, you know, going to Hollywood was going to uh, create uh, great publicity. Um, and at the same time, the studio uh, heads didn't want uh, Congress uh, coming to uh, Hollywood to talk about uh Communism, they just saw it as uh, bad publicity, uh, and and furthermore, they they thought they were taking care of the communist uh, problem uh, already. Uh, so Thomas uh, and and many within the uh, Republican establishment didn't want these hearings uh, either. Uh, they were probably influ- influenced by uh, studio heads who were trying to tell. Uh, then that this was, you know, that this was uh, just grandstanding. And uh, actually, uh, Thomas Dewey, who had run for president and 
had aspirations of uh, running in 48 as president again, uh, phoned up Jay Pornell uh, Tom, Thomas and tried to get him to call off the hearings. And uh, in fact, the, the Republican Speaker of the House, Republicans had just won uh, uh, House for the first time in many years, Joseph Martin, also phoned up Thomas and said, look, at this is... Uh, this is just going to lead to a backlash. Uh, we'll be, uh, the Republicans will be uh, portrayed as uh, red beggars. Let's don't do this. But Jay Parnell Thomas uh, felt that, he, that this was his great opportunity. And so he came out to, uh, to Hollywood and then later had uh, televised uh, hearings in Washington that were uh, watched by uh, uh, across the country, and hundreds of people lined up uh, to get into the uh, committee room to see these uh, hearings. Because uh, being brought uh, to the hearings were uh, America's most popular uh, stars of the day, Gary Cooper, uh, Robert Taylor, Ronald Reagan, uh, and many uh, and uh, many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I go on? Yeah, I just one question, actually. And this is one of the most fascinating parts of the book to me. You already talked about it. But it's just very interesting to me, given the fact that we think of the HUAC um, hearings as sort of the equivalent of the Inquisition now um, and Republican-backed, how many Republicans didn't really want to do it, that they thought it was just a very bad idea? And this is just totally forgotten well, as far as I know. I, you know, Yeah, well, that was a discovery I made uh, in the book, and I don't think it's uh – it's never been uh, uh, reported before, yeah. but it's clear that the uh, Republican establishment didn't want these uh, hearings because they were they were very concerned about being painted in in the next election forty eight as uh, as red baiters. Yeah. And furthermore, the Republican establishment uh, in California and the Hollywood studios didn't want this. Uh, investigation they were very concerned about uh uh you know the bad publicity uh and the fact of the matter was that uh in the 1940s during world war ii uh hollywood had used uh 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 very uh talented uh Writers who were members of the Communist uh, Party, mm-hmm. Dalton Trumbo, who was one of the most prolific uh, screenwriters and considered one of the most talented, didn't make uh, you know didn't uh, hide that he was uh, a communist. Mm-hmm. And during World War uh, II, when the Soviet Union was our ally and fighting the war against uh, against the Nazis. Uh, uh, Hollywood had made some films that uh, portrayed the Soviet Union in a favorable uh, light. Mm-hmm. So, but this wasn't uh, because the Hollywood studios, Louis B. Mayer, were communists. They were fighting, uh, or the or the Warner or the Warner Brothers were communists. <laughs> they just saw it as fighting the uh, fight against uh, fascism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's fascinating. I mean, I guess one of the takeaways is, um, well, I'll characterize it myself, I mean, that it was really a close thing. It could have easily gone the wrong way, if not for a kind of peculiarity, which you point out in the book, and that is the response of the unfriendly 10 
They they do something right. which really is a just it you know in hindsight I'll, I'll I'll sort of save it for drama's purposes in hindsight what they did it looks really great but actually at the time it was tactically a disaster so go ahead and tell the story yeah. of the friendly ten and the unfriendly ten yes well the the um, in order to understand what had happened uh, what happened at those uh, HUAC hearings in Washington uh, in which the entire country was uh, watching uh, on television. The uh, one needs to understand a change in the uh, Communist Party, their their line, uh, the party line, and that came from the Soviet Union. During uh, the late 1930s and during the Second World War, the Communist Party had had supported working with liberals in the so-called Popular Front. Because the war grew to a close, Stalin uh, believed that uh, uh, America and England were going to be uh, his enemies, uh, that they were going to to become uh, fascist. Uh, and so the party changed its line, denounced the Popular Front, denounced liberals, uh, and said that they needed to be now prepared to fight, uh, continue the fight, Against uh, fascism, so that set the stage. That, that set the stage for the HUAC hearings. In other words, the Communist Party believed that fascism was on the way, and then you have the HUAC hearings, which you know, which confirmed in their own view that yes, fascism was uh, was already uh, here. So the, uh, the the lawyers representing the uh, ten witnesses that were called. Before HUAC, uh, the so-called unfriendlies who were accused of membership in the uh, Communist Party uh, decided that they were going to make a, a, a political uh, stance to make the HUAC hearings into a show trial. So instead of taking the uh, Fifth Amendment, which later subsequent communists did, that you uh, that said that you couldn't, you wouldn't uh, self-incriminate yourself. They decided to make it a First Amendment free speech uh, issue. So what happened in the first four four days of the hearings, the so-called uh, friendlies came before them, uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Ayn Rand and, uh, and and others, and the uh, and the investigation had to do with communists. Was there? Pr- Communist propaganda in the uh, in in Hollywood films, uh, and they pointed to two films in particular uh, that they saw were uh, communist mission mission to Moscow uh, and uh, Song of Russia. And but there, but uh, but other than that, there there wasn't a lot of evidence uh, in the films. Uh, in, in other films, the, uh, some of the so-called friendlies, especially Ayn Rand, said that what the communists did was to, to communist screenwriters did was not write entire propaganda films, but, uh, try to sneak in a line or two that was praised, uh, the Soviet Union or denounced, uh, businessmen or denounced, uh, politicians and so forth. Well, one needs to remember that in the uh, New Deal, there was a lot of anti, uh, 
anti-business sentiment. Uh, and many people saw the Soviet Union mistakenly as kind of a worker's paradise. Capitalism had failed, and the Soviet Union seemed to be uh, seemed to be working. In other words, it was it was pretty hard to distinguish, you know, liberalism, good liberalism, from uh, communist propaganda. So after the uh, friendlies had uh, testified, the newspapers uh, across the country uh, and and uh, most Americans thought this was just a lark. <laughs> uh, that they that they had failed to uh, prove their case. This was just grandstanding. Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I was going to interrupt. I, I think we should say, and you can, yeah. you can tell me whether this is right. They didn't find any communist propaganda in films, American films, because there wasn't any. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean there, yeah, it's like you know, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there was there there. Yeah, I mean. Look at there were uh, communists who were uh, involved in uh, writing films, and the party party uh, uh, and the party told them if they get got the you know opportunity to sneak in a line or two, they would. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the, but liberals were doing the same thing. That's the point. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a conscious effort, but. It wasn't like complete, you know. Uh, let's have a revolution. Right. Let's uh, bring Stalin over right. to uh, run the country. It's not, it's, not, it's not the battleship Potemkin or anything like that. Right. And also, right. as you point out, you really didn't need to convince many scriptwriters to write bad bankers into their films in 1939 or 40. Bankers already yeah, had absolutely. a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was just a natural, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and. Uh, uh, yeah, let's face it, making, uh, taking a businessman who's, uh, and making him into a buffoon was pretty, uh, was, you know, American made fair. for pretty good characters yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, um, so everything, so, you know, the, the HUAC hearings really looked like they had flopped. Uh, and then came the, uh, Tiangong friendlies. Uh, that is, people would, the actors who were uh, screenwriters, most of them, uh, director and a producer, uh, who were accused of, uh, of communist uh, membership. And by the way, the, uh, the HUAC uh, uh, papers, which I looked at, had extensive uh, files on uh, these unfriendly showing that they were uh, they had extensive uh, uh, relations with uh, uh, communists, and and pretty pretty uh, sound proof that they were uh, members of the Communist Party. Although it should be pointed out that being a member of the Communist Party in 1946 was not illegal. Mm -hmm. The Communist Party was was uh, a legal organization. Anyway, they came. Uh, they now came before the hearings. Uh, and tried to disrupt the hearings. They denounced uh, Huac and Parnell as Thomas. Uh, they interrupted him, shouted down, uh, uh, refute, uh, tried to shout down uh, the uh, hearings. Uh, and there was immediate uh, public uh, backlash to this. It's uh, Americans had just fought a war against fascism. 
And they might not uh, like uh, uh, Republicans and people like Jay Parnell Thomas, but to, to hear America being denounced as uh, fascist uh, in really rude uh, ways uh, uh, really, really uh, shocked and, and outraged uh, people. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so at the, at, by the time the long friendlies were uh, finished, they had really uh, hurt their case. Liberal uh, actors such as Humphrey Bogart and Laura Bacall and others who had flown out to uh, Washington with great press coverage to support the uh, the ten long friendlies, uh, they too were shocked by it. They left before the hearings were over, and uh, later Humphrey uh, Bogart told the uh, uh, who who hadn't been told that this was the uh, plan uh, to denounce the hearings. Later, told uh, a lawyer for one of the lawyers for the Hollywood uh, for the uh, Ten on Friendly Restaurants uh, witnesses that he had really been well used, uh, 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 you know, pretty bad language. Uh, but he said basically he had been screwed. Uh, yeah. by them. Yeah. So liberals deserted them, and it, it was really uh, it was really a turning point in uh, in in the fight against communism mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And then, so at, at that point, I mean, this is a boon for the Republicans. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they, they uh, Jay Pardell, Thomas, uh, for some reason, uh, ended the hearings uh, early, uh, he felt he proved his point. By the way, he was later uh, uh, indicted and convicted of uh, of uh, corruption, kickbacks, employing his own uh, children. Uh, <laughs> actually, ended up in uh, in the federal prison where one of the uh, Hollywood uh, ten or the unfriendlies were um, were uh, were serving uh, their time for contempt to Congress. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's that's very rich. So, at this point, uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon enters the book, and, which and it's yeah. always it's always good when Richard Milhouse Nixon enters a book. So, how, how does he? And you say he really this 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 sort of his star rose here. So, can you explain that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> his was uh, he he. Uh, he had been uh, elected to uh, uh, Congress from Southern California, the Whittier area, and was appointed on the uh, on the HUAC uh, uh, committee. And he actually, in the uh, in the hearings, when he asked questions, uh, he basically took a position uh, of supporting the studios. Uh, asking leading questions uh, to show that communism wasn't really uh, an issue. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, who was uh, asked questions by Nixon, actually said that we had taken care of the communist uh, problem and there's not a communist problem uh, in uh, his union, the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, this, this, this wasn't uh, really a problem. Indeed, Ronald Reagan, uh, when he was first approached to about testifying, 
didn't want to uh, testify. He didn't want to be aligned with the Motion Picture Alliance. He thought they were uh, extremists, and he was, uh, but he was convinced to do so. But he, uh, 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 Ronald Reagan, and George Murphy, being good company studio men, basically defended the uh, the uh, the uh, the studios in this, uh, and said there wasn't a communist problem. Anyway, uh, uh, Nixon was going to gain real fame uh, for HUAC for investigating allegations that Alger Hiss, who had been a uh, high, high-ranking State Department official uh, uh, who had been at the Yalta Conference for post-war planning, was a communist. He had been charged uh, as being a communist by Whitaker Chambers. And Nixon seized upon this uh, evidence, uh, charges, and brought evidence uh, forward from Whitaker Chambers that Alger Hiss wasn't only a communist, but he was a communist spy. And so uh, he uh, he became a leading uh, light of the uh, Republican uh, Party and uh, was going to be uh, a, uh, put on the... Uh, uh, presidential ticket with uh, with Eisenhower in 1952, mm-hmm. and if you want, we could talk a little bit about that 52. Yeah, campaign. let's do, please. Well, uh, so by 1952, you had a pretty active uh, uh, right in Hollywood. It was pretty well formed, but they weren't all of uh, one mind. Uh, some were more uh, conservative than others. Some were more anti-communist than others. Uh, they were all they all believed in in free enterprise and and uh, and American patriotism, but they were kind of divided on uh, the communist uh, the communist issue. And many of them supported uh, um, uh, Robert Taft. Uh, for the presidency, he had been a long-time Republican senator from Ohio. He was very uh, conservative, uh, and and many, uh, including uh, Louis B. Mayer, uh, Heather Hopper, who was a well-known columnist, uh, really uh, thought really didn't like uh, Eisenhower. Uh, and so when they went to the uh, uh, Republican convention, they were divided, uh, but uh, then they, when Eisenhower got the nomination, they rallied around him uh, and uh, supported his campaign. And interesting in this, and I think it was uh, an interesting story about the use of uh, modern media in politics, one actor, Robert Montgomery, uh, joined uh, Eisenhower's uh, campaign as a media consultant. And uh, he was so effective that when Eisenhower won, he brought uh, Montgomery with him to uh, to the White House uh, as uh, to uh, help on 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 uh, on television and 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 so forth. He taught Eisenhower uh, uh, well, he didn't teach him, but he, he told him to use his effective smile, to look at the camera, uh, to uh, uh, to keep his shortened sentences uh, short. He built the first White House uh, television studio uh, in uh, uh, for the in in uh, 
uh, and used it to really effectively project Eisenhower's uh, image to the larger uh, larger public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Nixon is the darling of the Republican Party at this point, and uh, they the, his star has risen. They run him. He loses. Um, and then you have an interesting chapter called The Hollywood Right Goes for Goldwater and Finds Reagan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, uh, Nixon, after he loses the uh, 60 uh, election um, and refuses, at Eisenhower's advice, to use Robert Montgomery to, to for media uh, – as a media consultant, yeah. <laughs> which may have heard him in the great Kennedy uh, uh, Nixon televised debate, um, he uh, <clears throat> he decided to run for uh, governor. The fact of the matter was that two things were happening. First, many in uh, in, in Hollywood uh, had, had really thought uh, the, the hardcore conservatives thought Eisenhower was too moderate and surprise and surprise they didn't like uh they didn't like uh uh Nixon. Uh I know this is surprising for many people, but uh hardcore Republicans on the right thought Nixon was way too moderate for their uh, <laughs> for their uh taste. The second thing that happened was that in California politics there really was a significant shift to the uh, to the right, uh, especially with the emergence of uh, far right groups such as the John Birch Society, and uh, so Nixon was challenged in the uh, in the primary by someone on the uh, right. Uh, he, he easily won the primary, but he entered that uh, uh, race against Pat. Brown really was a divided uh, party, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Pat Brown uh, won that election. Uh, Hollywood said goodbye to Richard Nixon uh, at that point. They thought his political career was uh, over. Richard Nixon moves to uh, New York uh, uh, with his wife uh, Pat. And uh, that seems to be the end of Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. So, in 19, as 1964 uh, uh, approached, the conservatives across the country rallied to uh, bury uh, Goldwater. Um, and uh, but within California, many people on the Hollywood uh, right, uh, including the business community, just uh, really didn't like uh, Goldwater. And so in the primaries, leading Republicans who were later going to support Ronald Reagan, Justin Dart and Leonard Firestone, actually endorsed uh, in the California primary uh, Goldwater's rival, uh, Nelson uh, Nelson Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was another interesting discovery I made that... Uh, that these Reaganites, some of them, endorsed Rockefeller, who was seen as the uh, liberal Eastern establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goldwater did get uh, support from Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, is appointed to head uh, the Citizens uh, Committee for Citizens for Goldwater. Uh, 
an activist organization, and then makes uh, this famous uh, television ad, A Time to Choose, that appeared right uh, uh, three days before the election. And uh, from that uh, televised, nationwide televised speech, uh, Ronald Reagan becomes the the new hero of the uh, Republican uh, Party. But this is at the very time, you point this out, it's at the very time in which there are fewer, fewer, fewer and fewer liberals in Hollywood. I mean, we th- and I think one of the things you say is that they, there's sort of an older generation that, that, that is somewhat Republican, but the new generation of actors who are coming into their prime, your Martin Brandos and such, they are not um, Republican by any means. Right. The, uh, the old Hollywood right uh, actors were... Uh, were uh, getting older. They were no longer film stars. They're turning to uh, TV, as Ronald Reagan had, as uh, as the host of the very popular Death Valley Days. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Barbara Stanwyck uh, uh, turn to television uh, as did her uh, husband, Robert Taylor. They just weren't the film stars of uh, of the past. You still had John Wayne, who was uh, very uh, popular. Uh, uh, Gary Cooper, before he dies, is going to remain pretty popular. But the big film stars that were uh, that were Republicans just weren't uh, weren't very popular. Ward Bond, uh, who's going to become the star of Wagon. Uh, Wagon Train, who is a sidekick of uh, of Wayne, also turns to uh, Hollywood, and so in by 1966-68, most of the Hollywood stars are television stars. Uh, one of the one of the uh, most popular uh, Republican speakers. Uh, on the campaign trail was Chuck Connors yeah. uh, of uh, the Rifleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people thought he was going to have a great political uh, career. Anyway, so in 1966, when Ronald Reagan uh, runs for governor against Pat Brown, what his great accomplishment was uh, was to unify the California Republican Party. But by that point, uh, he wasn't going to be able to rely as much on uh, the Hollywood stars, but he still had the business community, Justin Dart and Walter Knox and uh, Leonard Firestone and others uh, uh, behind him. And he runs a very effective uh, campaign uh, and running as kind of a citizen, uh, a union uh, president, uh, uh not coming from uh, the political class, and he uh, uh, really trounces uh, uh, Pat Brown in the general election. Pat Brown uh, uh, had, was faced with uh, having been pretty inept in the Watts riot uh, in '65 and campus protest at my alma mater, Berkeley. Uh, uh, Reagan really calls for a restoration of law and order, and that appeals to uh, the general uh, the general public. He he wins election in '66 and then wins uh, re-election as governor. Mm-hmm. 
And then the indefatigable Reagan eventually becomes president in 1980. He's, he's elected. And, and this is sort of the, 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 the highest moment of the Hollywood right. So there he is as, as president. I guess one question I have is, is that by the seventies, is there no more Hollywood right except for him and very old Chuck Connors? And I don't know, is, I don't know who's alive anymore. Yeah, well, you have, uh, uh, that's right there. When actually when, uh, Reagan runs, uh, for president in 1980s, the Hollywood committee uh, that he forms is uh, doesn't have any Hollywood stars. Uh, <laughs> they, they can't even bring out one after Charles Kastik and a few, but uh, but they don't have enough yeah. to really, uh, you know, have a have a. Uh, advertisements in newspapers with all the stars supporting Reagan because there weren't any. Right, yeah. um, you know, and you had aging stars like Richard Boone who uh, have gun will travel, right. uh, who was a pretty staunch Republican, but you know, <laughs> they're not, they're not many around. So right. actually his Hollywood committee is made up of uh, studio agents and, and a few uh, executives. Mm-hmm. It's basically a fundraising uh, operation, but not a media, uh, you know, uh, a, a part of the media uh, yeah. campaign. Yeah. So the Democrats are going to be much more effective in using Hollywood stars from that uh, point. One could argue after uh, after Clint Eastwood's uh, appearance at the last uh, Republican uh, <laughs> convention <laughs> that the Democrats are going to still uh, be yeah. much more effective yeah. in using stars. Of course, the question is, is... Uh, I think is whether uh, uh, you know what effect having endorsements from stars really uh, really matters, and I think you know Hollywood primarily is uh, is a funnel for money, and uh, it doesn't. I don't think anyone votes uh, determines their vote on what Barbara Streisand is uh, is telling them. At least, at least I don't. Yeah, anyway. no, no, I don't think they do. But I think it is a mechanism. To some extent, I don't know who blazed the trail. I want to say it's Reagan, but I doubt it was. That it is a way to find people who have some political talent. You know, for example, I'm thinking of Al Franken. He apparently has some political talent. He got elected senator. Um, and, you know, similarly with right. Reagan. I can't think of other examples right off the top of my head, but uh, it is a way to launch a political career now. I'm, again, is that thanks to Reagan or were there, did he have predecessors? Nope, there were there were a few uh, actors who uh, who have been elected to uh, to the California Assembly, but but really George Murphy, when he's elected uh, U.S. Senator and then followed by Ronald Reagan, I mean it really shows that that what what if you're if you're a candidate with a with a large popular following, that translates into uh, political popularity. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and so I would you're say right about that. Yeah, and I, but I would also say you have some political talent um, because I don't think most people have any, and I probably don't either. What what being an active politician is like, especially on the campaign trail, it's brutal, and uh, not everybody can do it. Uh, so I, I think someone like you know, obviously Reagan could, um, uh, you know, Sean Penn can't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he well, well he'd Sean end up Penn's calling. Thinking about- well, I don't think he is, but he would end up in his first press conference calling somebody an MF, and it would be over. Right. You know, he just right. doesn't have the chops Absolutely. for it. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't have the well, chops. There, there's, there's, uh, there's two aspects, I think, to this, and, and it's uh, embodying in Ronald Reagan. 
Ronald Reagan had an affable uh, manner that came across on television. Uh, and that matters. You know, t- mm-hmm. television uh, and film kind of capture uh, one's personality. But there was also something else that uh, Ronald Reagan had. He was very, very pragmatic and an extremely adept uh, politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his core principles, but during the uh, campaign, as I discussed when Hollywood was right, uh, in his gubernatorial campaigns and presidential campaigns, he really compromised uh, and brought people uh, together. Uh, within a very highly factionalized uh, Republican uh, Party, so it's just not having having a uh, easy manner in front of the television cameras. One needs to also know how to run a campaign uh, and make those tough uh, political uh, decisions, right. which I think a lot of Hollywood actors who are basically in complete complete control they want someone, uh, they don't like what they're doing, they could fire them right, right away or cuss them out. Right. So you need to have uh, some political skills yeah, as well. Just, that's just what I was pointing out. Is, you know, they bring a platform with them, as they say in you know, book publishing, but whether they can actually write a book, that's, that's an open question. And someone like Reagan could um, in spades. He had leadership skill. And he had developed it in right. a union. And you know, it's not like he was inexperienced. He had, he had shown that he could do it in another sphere. So anyway, I want to ask right. you two questions before we go very quickly. And the first one is, um, um, why did uh, – now, Hollywood was always uh, sort of more liberal than conservative, but there's this moment of conservatism. Why did it become – maybe this is the wrong characterization. Why, why and how did it become completely liberal? Are there Republican yeah. – I mean, who's – I'm trying to think of any – well, there, there, uh, there's a resurgence of uh, Republicanism, mostly libertarianism in Hollywood uh, today. Um, but Hollywood has always been uh, uh, liberal, uh, even I think during the uh, even during the Red Scare uh, mm-hmm. period. Uh, you know, it's an artistic, uh, it's an artistic uh, uh, community. But I think it swings further to the left uh, with the breakup of the independent of the studios, independent filmmaking, and like much of the uh, country in that generation, the Vietnam War and Black civil rights uh, protests uh, really swing uh, a lot of uh, actors who are on the left further to the uh, further further to the uh, left. Mm-hmm. So I think the 1970s, late 60s, 70s, kind of personified in Jane Fonda are really, you know, really uh, a, a turn away from that kind of old old New Deal uh, liberalism to a kind of, you know, further uh, left liberal uh, and even, you know, kind of further, uh, further left to seeing in and Sean Penn and and others in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So, and then the second question, which obviously follows from the first, you've mentioned it. Is there any, you mentioned this resurgence. Is there any chance that Hollywood will move to the, I I don't like this right left thing. We'll just say to the right or to the Republican cause. Is there any chance that that's ever going to happen in like the recent future or the the near future? Well, I think, uh, I think politics is really uh, changing in America. Uh, in teaching, you know, I, I still, I'm teaching, so I speak to a lot of uh, young people. And I think those uh, K-12 
categories of right and left are really becoming uh, skewed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have a hard time uh, telling actually what the politics of my politically active uh, students are sometimes. They, oh. they tend to be very, very libertarian. So they're anti-war, anti-government, uh, 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 not loyal to, they think both political parties are corrupt, uh, they're kind of anti-corporate, uh, uh, and so forth. And But, you know, they could be on the left and they could be on the right. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's there's a lot of anger out there uh, and a lot of loss of uh, trust in our uh, government, which uh, is is good in some ways for democracy, but not very good, on the other hand, if we all distrust our, uh, our government. So I think politics is changing. I mm-hmm. think Hollywood politics will change, too. <laughs> that, that old breed of... Uh, leftist Hollywood is, is, you know, they'll still be out there, but it's, it's kind of a dying, uh, a dying breed, I think, in some ways, as, as politics is uh, going to change in this country. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and I would agree with you when I ask my students questions, which I think have obvious answers. They don't have obvious answers to them, and I'm really surprised by this. I mean, I truly am just gobsmacked. Sometimes I'll ask them a question, and I won't give any examples, but uh, it's just not what sort of right-thinking people, at least what I thought right-thinking people thought. And I was... Well, I think the other thing, I think the other thing that's apparent, uh, uh, that also sets a context for uh, American politics is the general, well, general apathy of most people, but also also kind of uh, political ignorance. I mean, students and... uh, uh, Students just don't know kind of basic things about American history, and oh my God. Uh, you may not you you might not want to uh, give an example, but I'll give an example. Just uh, two years ago, in an introductory to U.S. class, I gave a throwaway line on the first day of class, trying to get the students to relax. Uh, who's I asked who the president was uh, during the Civil War. This is before the Lincoln film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not a single student knew. And it wasn't that they didn't try to answer the question. Yeah. Many thought it was, it was uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. I mean, and so we're confronting this kind of breakdown in, in, in civic literacy, which is yeah. fundamental to a democracy. Right. Well, that's what we hear about at the New Books Network. I will give one example because it so shocked me. And it's partially because I'm a Midwesterner. And I asked, we're discussing terrorism, and I said, name an act of domestic terrorism before 9-11. And they couldn't name one. They didn't know right. about the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. I mean, I, how can you actually, not know about the Oklahoma City bombing? <laughs> how is that yeah, possible? Actually, I've had, stu- I've had many students who had never heard of the Oklahoma City bombing. Incredible. I mean, that, yeah, that's not good. It's not good. And I feel personally a little bit guilty because obviously I'm not doing my job because, like, that's not, that's just bad. They should know about that. So, anyway, right. we're both doing our jobs. I think we can say that. So we can feel good about ourselves. So, um, thank you very much for being on the show, Don. And I want to close with our traditional final question, and that is what are you working on now? Well, I just finished, uh, um, just finished a, a very short uh, introduction to American political history. Uh, that's going to be published by Oxford University uh, Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, because I'm concerned with, you know, giving, kind of writing a short book that maybe 
will instruct our students on things like Oklahoma City bombing and, and and who the president was during the Civil War. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking about a, a book uh, uh, um, called uh, Democracy in America, really talking about kind of the problems that we're confronting right now in our democracy mm-hmm. and. Uh, and the and the uh, and the future of American democracy. So, I've written a proposal. Uh, it's off to an agent. If if I get a contract, and I'll write that book. If not, I might go off to the uh, Bahamas and never write another book. <laughs> <laughs> I prompted Don to say it, that. It's, got, it's gotten very tough to get books published these days. By the way, as you know. Oh boy, and how? So you know, well, as I say, one of the things that we do on the show is that we try to get the word out about books like yours, good books, and we want people to read them. So we kind of give them a taste by having them listen to you talk about the book. So then they'll go out and they will buy your book, and you will earn enough money to get that place in the Bahamas. You can go and retire. Here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen, well, well, but that's I, our goal. Well, I, I hope people do buy uh, and read anyway. Uh, when Hollywood was right, I don't think I'm going to earn enough to yeah. uh, go off to the Bahamas. And yeah, right. Plus, I'm fair-skinned. All I would is get a bad sunburn, right. so they can save me. Right, but if right. they read the book, When Hollywood Was Right, I would uh, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, it would be great. So anyway, let me thank you for being on the show, first of all. And thank you. Absolutely. And then let me say to everybody who listens to this podcast, thank you very much for listening to the New Books Network. We really appreciate all of your support, and I hope that everybody has a great week. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.